1: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 16.
2: Episode 26.
1: This is Writing Excuses.
2: Working with teams.
3: 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry.
4: Oh, I'm sorry. Was that my job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mary
2: Robinette. I'm Cassandra.
5: I'm Dan. I'm James. There is no eye in mistake. <laughs> and Howard is There fired. is an eye in mistake. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so this is, we're going to wrap this up today. Our wonderful intensive course we have had about game writing by talking about working with teams. Uh, writing can often feel like a very solitary thing if you're in standard kind of novel short story, but other industries are much more collaborative and game writing is one of those. So tell us, what do we need to know about how to work well in a team?
4: Yeah, so in my experience, how good you are at working in teams is even more important than how good you are at actual game design, because a good team player will unlock the best from everyone around them, While a bunch of cantankerous geniuses, which describes a lot of the game industry, um, will frequently crash and burn uh, when they don't need to. So I wanted to just talk with everybody about how you work well in a team. Cass, what do you have for working well in a game team?
2: Um, I think the most important thing is recognizing that you are all on a project together. Whatever you do, you're contributing to the main body of this animal. You're not working in a silo. It's easy to think that, especially as a creative. But ultimately, anything you do connects with every single other department. So you should absolutely show off your ideas But at the end of the day, you need to acknowledge and you also need to do what your group decides, at least within reason, because there's always the risk of people who are a little bit more controversial trying for things that um, are not quite so nice. So it is a little bit of a balance, but being able to understand that you are part of a group is valuable.
4: Yeah, something I always used to tell my team members is, you know, you never get to a point where you get to stop compromising, you know, as, as a new writer, you know, you want to show off your ideas, like you said, but in the end you need to sort of salute and do what the group or your boss decides. But the flip side of that is that, you know, as I learned as a creative director on Starfinder, um, being a good creative director means flexing that muscle and that authority as little as possible. You want to empower those below you technically in the hierarchy. Um, And the thing to remember there is that if your default is yes, then when you do have to say no or why don't we go this other direction, um, then you'll have built up the goodwill that hopefully people will really listen to that and take it to heart rather than just automatically butting heads.
5: I was a terrible team player when (laughs) I worked in the software industry. I was just not good at it. And I got put in charge of... A $100 million product line. And uh, that's not a great environment in which to learn good practices because there's already so much at stake. Um, one of my bosses pulled me aside and said, look, when you correct people, yeah, it's because they're wrong. Go ahead and step on their toes, but don't scuff their shoes. Hmm. The point being, it is possible to issue corrections. It is possible to, you know, tell people, no, that's, you know, that's not in fitting, you know, that's not fitting the course we're going. It's possible to do that and let people retain personal self-worth, retain pride, retain whatever. You don't need to smack talk people in order to make your point. Um, I don't want to suggest that that's the level to which I was a terrible manager of other people, um, but that's the advice I got, and it has stuck with me.
4: So one of the things I think about a lot with this regard is, um, is art orders. When you're ordering art for a game, um, you want to give other people room to be creative. And uh, something uh, an art director I work with told me once was, after two sentences, the artist stops reading. Um and that can feel like a smack in the face as a writer where you're like, but I have 10 pages of description about this character. Um but the thing to remember is that you want to honor other people's skill sets. And a visual artist is likely going to be way better at coming up with cool creative compositions than you are as a writer because like that's what they do. And so giving people just enough information. So you know, a good art order is something like you know, this is a Black woman wearing practical knight armor with a phoenix on the shield. You don't need to say which hand she's raising her sword with. You don't need to say everything about what type of armor she's wearing unless it's really key to the project. The more freedom you can give that artist, the better the end product is going to be. And you're giving them a chance to inspire you and make it a conversation rather than just a top-down, I am telling you what to do and you are doing it. Yeah, this is... This is
5: a combat alchemist who needs quick access to lots of different chemicals. The artist is going to go crazy designing shoulder things for test tubes and whatever, and let them do that rather than you trying to describe all of those things.
1: Yeah, I always found that I got much better results when I talked about uh, the mood of the character uh, and... and the, the intention?
2: Cass? Um, I think honoring skill sets is important uh, in regards to other disciplines as well. It's not just the relationship between an artist and a writer. Working in video games, you have um, the opportunity to collaborate with level editors and level designers. And it's easy to go, no, you just put the nice things down. Um, I will tell you how the story goes, but if you're willing to make space for them, you eventually recognize that. No, because they're the ones who put things down. They know exactly the structure and how people might approach it. And they also have little tools and little tricks that might not necessarily be things you think about that can enhance whatever story you're trying to tell in a video game.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just the, uh, it's not just people from other departments, it's people in your own department. You know, every writer is coming with different skills to the project. Um, So, you know, recognize when somebody's got a good idea, you know, support that idea, praise your coworkers, be fans of your coworkers. The most fun jobs are the ones where I'm on a team and everybody there is a total badass. um, And I'm just like happy to be there.
1: One of the tricks that, That I will use as a manager sometimes is steering with praise. um, That I praise the things that I want them to do more of, and I don't necessarily have to tell them that other thing. I don't want you to do that. People notice. It's like, oh, they they really like it when I do X, and they'll they'll start to deliver. They'll they will self guide, self correct over to that direction.
3: Yeah, this is a a principle I learned early in. child rearing class when my first kid was born. They talked about the difference between positive and negative reinforcement. Uh, both of them work, but one of them works so much better and makes everyone so much happier. Well and there is a point
5: as a team member. You know, if I'm on Mary Robinette's team and she's telling me all of these things that she likes, and there's this thing that I enjoy doing that she hasn't praised, at some point I should ask Mary Robinette, hey this one thing I'm doing, you haven't said much about it. Can you please tell me how you feel about it? And yeah. then we get to have that discussion.
1: Yeah, and it. But at the same time, like it, getting mad at someone because they because you they they keep doing a thing that you haven't told them not to do. Like you, you should do clear communication, but it, it shouldn't be you know it doesn't need to be retributive to say yeah. don't do that thing. You know, like you're a stupid. Why mm-hmm. can you do that? It's like this isn't. This is. This piece of it is not in in line with the uh, overall aesthetic that we're going for. Can you? But these pieces that you do, I love that. I love this. I love that.
2: This is something I heard very recently from a friend who works with animals. Uh, Clicker training works with humans, and it works surprisingly well. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's depressing, but true.
3: Oh, that's wonderful. Um, all right, we're we're gonna take a little pause here.
6: Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over thirty years with millions of users and twenty-five languages offered.
0: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
3: For our game of the week, which is me again. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite new role playing games. It's not new, it's a couple years old, but I discovered it very recently. It is called Heart the City Beneath, and it is by Grant Howitt and Christopher Taylor. Um, and it's a, a kind of a dungeon crawl game, it's very freeform and it's very narrative. Uh, But the thing that I love about it and the reason that we're doing it on this episode is the experience system uh, of how your characters grow over time is based on something called beats. And every character class and every character um, kind of calling has a bunch of like a, a big two or three lists of what they call beats that are things like take a certain amount of damage or betray someone you love or like all of these story elements And then every session, each player looks at their list of beats and says, well, I need to pick three of these. You pick them and you tell the Game Master. And then that becomes this very collaborative way of you as the player have control over what you want to do and how you want to steer your character. And the Game Master knows exactly what gets you excited and how to build the story in order to enable those beats, and it becomes this wonderful collaborative session. It's it's one of my favorite game mechanics I've ever seen. So heart the city beneath.
4: So jumping back into working with teams and working in the industry, um, I want to throw out. You know, we were saying, you know, be a fan of your coworkers, praise good work, you know, honor other people's skill sets. I think sometimes people uh, misunderstand and they think that there's uh, that the game industry is a zero sum game, and that if they you know, praise what their coworkers are doing, then they'll be less likely to succeed. Or on the flip side, they feel like, oh, well, I can't, uh, you know, self advocate because if I do, my coworkers won't like me. Um, and I think that, like, that is absolutely a thing that people run into that especially runs into issues of privilege as well. Um, but I do believe that you can cl- absolutely climb the ladder and self advocate um, while still, you know, doing your best to be responsible and friendly and team oriented um, you know if you do good work and if you're pleasant to work with you know hopefully if you have a good team people will be happy to see you rise but uh you know and I guess another thing I'll tag on to that is um I at the same time advancing in a company uh, in my experience uh, you Sometimes it's about just like being there a long time and doing good work, but sometimes you really have to push because there's often not a lot of structure, um, in game companies that are smaller, you know, people just sort of put things together. And so they don't necessarily, uh, have a plan for after X years, you become senior designer or whatever. Uh, so you need to show the company what you can do for them. And I feel like every promotion that I got, as I went to, you know, senior editor, executive editor, creative director, all those things, it was always about me going to my bosses and saying, hey, you've got a problem. I can solve it if you empower me. You know, if you give me this team, I will give you this game that you want. Um, And I think that can be hard because it's it's not about what you deserve. It's not about necessarily who does the best work or who's been there the longest. You know, there's not a clear path like that. It's really about what you can convince, you know, your, your employers to give you:
1: Yeah, and I think a, along those lines, one of the things um, that I, I want to remind uh people who are women, people from marginalized communities is that um, women especially, we are socialized to uh to not push um, and and it's not universal, but as a general rule we we're, we're socialized to to let other people have have the space. So it's important to understand that when you go in and say, hey, I can do this thing or give me the opportunity or here is an idea that I'd like to present that um, that you're not that that's, you know, that's normal. That's what people are supposed to do. So you're you're allowed to um, to take up space in a room.
2: And I think it's important, like talking about teams and talking about promotions to not over invest emotionally, which I know sounds a bit contradictory compared to the other points. But it's just if a promotion is not there for you at that moment, it does not mean you are a terrible person or you are not deserving of it or that people are keeping it from you. The latter is sometimes true. It just means it's not the right time. And that's fine. Similarly with projects, if you have ideas, things that are precious to you, and you run into, say, a creative director who goes, I like that idea, but it doesn't work for this project, you should be able to let it go. Working in teams does mean you have to be able to stand your ground, but also not over-invest and become caught up in the minutia.
5: Um, I've got a couple of friends who are very interested in building things that are much larger than themselves much larger than what one person can build and neither of them have worked as part of a team with a large organization to build something and uh, in both cases you know they're they're looking at things like like you know Kickstarter or uh Uh, you know, DeviantArt and going out and finding, you know, other self-starters, whatever. Um, And the piece of advice they don't want to hear from me, but which I keep repeating, is until you've worked with a team to build something, nobody with money is going to trust you to spend money to build a team, to build something. You have to learn this first. And it can be a small thing. It can be, you know, go volunteer for Habitats for Humanity and build a barn over the weekend with a group of people. That will teach you some of the skills you need.
1: If anyone would like to volunteer for Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, I'd be happy to set you up as project lead on something. (laughs) I also
4: want to throw out, tagging in on that uh, don't overinvest emotionally, um, I've seen a lot of friends get really hurt because they poured all of their creative energy into the job or they gave, uh, you know, a company the ideas that they'd cherished since childhood. Um, you know, they're, they're one big setting. They sell to a company and then they can't, A, they can't do anything with it outside of that company, uh, which can be real hard. Um and B, like they've got other people who want to mess with their thing because it's their job to mess with that thing and try and make it the best it can be. And so one of the things that I found really kept me sane in the uh, 13 years that I was working at Paizo as part of the teams on you know, Starfinder and Pathfinder was to have a creative outlet outside of work that could be just mine, or at least different. So you know, I'd pour all my creativity at work into those settings, but then I would go home and I would work on a novel or I would play with a band or do something that allowed me to get that same creative release without having to always be compromising with the same people because it can really chew through friendships. If, you know, you're, uh, you're trying to get along with your coworkers and they keep touching your things. <laughs> yeah.
1: The, uh, one of the, the best pieces of advice that I got. Um, like A lot of my team experience came from, you know, starting off in theater. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got was about boundaries and um, not doing other people's jobs. And mm. there's two reasons for this. One is that um, if it's a job that someone else is already doing, you're going to annoy them that you're doing it, that you're trying to to micromanage or uh, change directions and they have to reset it. But the other piece of it, um, and this one is really hard, is that if you do someone else's job, it will eventually become your job. So I uh, was in a show and one of my cast members uh, didn't preset a prop. And so I I preset it for them. You know, I saw it and, and I moved it into place. The show had already started. And so when they came off stage, the, the prop was there. And I, I'm an intern at this point. Um, but being treated as if I'm a full cast member. And I, and it happens again another day, and and I do it. And, and the third day, one of the other cast members says, what are you doing? I'm like, well, he forgot to preset this. And he's like, if you keep doing that, it's going to become your job to preset that. You need to let him fail on this.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the hardest thing I've ever done was to leave that prop in the wrong place, even though I knew exactly where it was supposed to go. Um, I, and uh, like, I didn't just leave it there. I, I said to him, Hey, you've, you've been forgetting to preset this. And he's like, Oh, okay. Okay. And he, he didn't preset it again, even after having been reminded and he came off tearing off stage prop wasn't there. He had to go running around to find it. He never forgot to preset it again. And it didn't become my job. Nice.
4: I'd like to throw out one more rule that I have for myself, which is no headcanon. Um, And what I mean by that is when I'm working on a game or something until it's written down and has been published or at least accepted by the team, it does not exist Um, because it's really easy to fall into the trap of you've decided a thing in your head, but you have not communicated it to your team or the audience. And so then later on, somebody else on your team comes along and introduces something that conflicts with it. And you get mad because it conflicts with what you've already decided, but you haven't communicated that desire. Um, And so I think it's really important to, uh, you know, I always say, like, when I leave the office, like, I turn off that part of my brain and I don't invest extra time in it, both for my own mental health, but also because I don't want to plan a bunch of stuff that I don't actually get to implement because it's just going to lead to version control problems down the road.
3: Awesome. This has been a really great discussion, and I think that we could talk for a long time about it, but we do need to end. So, Cass, give us our homework for today.
2: Your final homework is spend some time brainstorming a game idea with a friend. Try to draw out and explore their best ideas. Encourage them to make changes to your own work and make sure you're both contributing equally. This is a chance for you to try out working in a team.
3: Cool, that sounds like a fun thing. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write.
1: This has been Writing Excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Cassandra Kaw, Mary Robinette Kowal, James L. Sutter, Howard Taylor, and Dan Wells. The episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and brought to you by our supporters at patreon.com writingexcuses writing excuses.